0: Welcome to the BruteCast, the flagship digital outreach platform of the Krulak Center. Inspired by its namesake, the Brute Krulak Center for Innovation and Creativity enables an interdisciplinary approach to supporting all students and faculty at Marine Corps University through complex problem solving, fostering an environment that enhances our collective warfighting capability, and facilitating and encouraging novel solutions to current and future warfighting challenges in order to expand the Corps' competitive edge and improve our warfighting effectiveness. The BruteCast is a web series that we've run for almost a year to help connect subject matter experts with Marine Corps University students to help them think about those novel solutions. We're now adapting many of our former webinars to the podcast format to help spread that knowledge even wider. We hope you enjoy this episode and all the ones to follow. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected education, preparation for the unexpected.
1: All right, good afternoon, Team Krulak community. My name is Major Ian Brown. I'm the operations officer at the Krulak Center. And on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brew Krulak Center for Innovation and Creativity, welcome to the fifth episode of the Brewcast, a series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. Before we begin, please remember that all opinions expressed here are those of the individual and do not reflect the views of the Krulak Center, Marine Corps University, the United States Marine Corps, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Today's broadcast features Dr. Amin Tarzi. He's our Director of Middle East Studies at the Krulak Center and is a Senior Non-Resident Fellow for the Program on the Middle East at the Foreign Policy Research Institute. He regularly lectures on broader Middle Eastern security issues, in the U.S. and foreign governmental institutions and think tanks, as well as visiting operational Marine Corps units. He is currently working on the maritime security and policy issues in the Gulf and in the Eastern Mediterranean. In today's broadcast, Dr. Tarzi will be discussing Iran's maritime strategies and tactics. All right, with that, Dr. Tarzi, over to you.
2: Uh, Good afternoon uh, to everyone. Uh, I wanna first and foremost thank uh, Major Brown for uh, spearheading this and being the force behind it. I think uh, while we are in uh, this uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, situation, I think uh, this is helping us talk to the broader community, so I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Uh, what I will do is I, I start with a map of Iran. I know all of you who have tuned in uh, know where that map is, but I just wanted to put in perspective uh, where Iran is and what I will be discussing today. Uh, Iran has a, a long coastline on the Gulf, uh, basically covers the entire northern uh, coast of the Gulf, uh, and it has a coastline on the Gulf of Oman, which is, opens up directly into the open seas in the Arabian Sea and the, in the Indian Ocean. Uh, the Iranians actually call that whole area Indian Ocean, uh, not the Arabian Sea. And also, it has uh, the southern coastline line of the Caspian. For today's talk, what we will, what I will focus on, is mainly the Gulf. And the strategies and tactics within the Gulf. Uh, the Caspian, if anybody is interested, we can cover that in the Q and A, as well as uh, the broader Iranian uh, strategies uh, into uh, in, uh, the Gulf of Oman and then beyond. Uh, so the focus today will be on, on, on the Gulf. Uh, just as far as I put a map, which actually shows the uh, gas and oil, the hydrocarbon, uh, Uh, reserves and where they are, the red being gas fields and the green being the oil fields uh, for a specific reason on why the Gulf matters. Uh, You know, it matters for many reasons, but it is still hydrocarbon, it's still oil and gas. Uh, If if today we were using 100% uh, renewables or or some other uh, energy source, the Gulf would not be as important. There's no question about that. Uh, And when you look at the Gulf as a whole, uh, it has uh that total seaboard volume is about fifteen percent of global output for oil it's about 21 million barrels per day which accounts for about thirty five percent of all crude export and also thirty three percent of lng the liquefied national gas and forty five percent of liquefied petroleum gas uh, so when you look at that it is almost half of the gas and and uh more than one third of oil that goes from there and goes through that Strait of Hormuz, which is the uh, small opening into the Gulf. The Gulf is surrounded by sides by water. It has a very small opening, which is shared between the Sultanate of Oman in the south and Iran to the north. In uh, Iran's largest port, Bandar Abbas is directly uh, situated on the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, when you look at the container value as a whole, uh, the persian uh, the gulf as a whole is is not as important uh, it has a, a a container volume is about seven percent of the entire global and value is about five percent uh, lastly one other thing uh, I will not go to all the international norms and laws of the sea again in Q and a we could discuss that but one point I want to make is that Iran does not officially recognizes the Strait of Hormuz as an international waterway. The United States and every other country does. The Iranians do not believe that that's an international waterway, that it actually falls uh, into their territorial water which they share with the Sultanate of Oman in the middle and that right of passage is given at their will. That is not enforced and some of the what I'll be talking about about strategies is that that issue of uh, Iran's uh, insistence that they have uh, Gulf is their sovereign, and the Strait of Hormuz is their sovereign waters. Uh, uh, what I will I will I will discuss about is is the, it, this is overall uh, this what you see here about the changing maritime environment. These are directly from the, the U.S. Navy's perspective or U.S. government's perspective. I'm not going to go through all of that, but mainly to a couple of points. When you look at the 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 period after the Cold War uh I would say between 1991 to two thousand and one uh the maritime domain is is not contested. The United States is leading the way and is unchallenged. This changes uh after two thousand one and and it changes in many ways It's not just a competition among states but also what you have is you have an introduction of uh technologies to various smaller country powers. And also to non state actors or hybrid actors. And, and as we discuss Iran, you see that uh, Iran falls into those issues. It has a state, definitely, it's a very large state uh, in the region, but also it has non state uh, proxies that are helping its tactics and strategies, the Houthis being one of them, but there are many more. And they're hybrid actors which fall between, uh, and the Houthis and Yemen will be one of those because they are part of a state, the state of Yemen, but also they act as a a proxy for Iran. And also what you have is with with the cyber, smaller powers and even smaller groups have uh, uh, managed to affect the maritime environment in a way that was not seen before. Yes, piracy was always there. Piracy is as old as as, as maritime voyages of humans. But what you have today is you have increasing power by smaller states hybrids uh, affecting the strategies at sea, and right now what you have is, is is a term that the United States a U.S. Marine general I'll talk about that later coined it in the mid 80s. You have guerrilla warfare at sea. Guerrilla warfare at sea is is a is, is, is relatively a new phenomenon. Again, if you want to historically look at it, you have to go back and look at some of the piracies uh, uh, that 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 happened. But right now that is part of it. And, and another last last thing on the on this technical aspect is that. What you have with modern weaponry systems, this whole idea of sea and land has blurred the distinction between sea based and land based operation and assets. You, the States right now are able to use land based missiles or land based technology to affect the sea and vice versa in a way that was not seen before, other than very major powers. So I, I, when you look at Iran and the last, the last uh, part of that uh, changing maritime environment, Iran, falls in into that category and much of what I'll be discussing about the Iranian uh, strategy and tactics falls into, into that. Uh, let me contextualize the recent Iranian actions. Let's see, I put some pictures, which I just want to talk about. When you look at those, uh, some of these come from Iranian sources, some do not. Uh, uh, the first one on the one for your screen on the top left, is actually a reenactment by kids. Those are very, very small kids. One of them is actually holding a mock AK forty seven, the one with the with the uniform. And that is actually uh uh re, the reenactment of the seizure of a riverine boat US two of them in detention in uh, January of twenty sixteen. Uh, they were held there for about fifteen hours in the middle of the Gulf. And this is the good old days, meaning this was you know when when the gcpoa or the iran nuclear deal was actually uh, uh signed uh, and and when you look at that this is something that happens in, in, in squares in iran uh, the tradition of of having art whether for religious reasons or for political reasons is very much active in iran so the the point that i want to make about that was first what happened in there with that incident which was the days that things were good between the us and iran maybe the best since the since the uh, Islamic revolution there in 1979, but also that this is now become the maritime domain has become part of Iran's overall propaganda within its own people. This is something new. I was, I would venture to say, you have always had issues about their missile systems. You had issues about their activities with Hezbollah or the proxies against Israel, but to use the maritime incidents as part of this, uh, propaganda and theatricals is new. Uh, And then the next one you see, uh, again, on the top, uh, middle, that's a Norwegian ship uh, that was hit uh, in Omani waters. there were two incidents. One was in May and one was in in July 2019. Uh, The ships were were hit were belonging to the United Arab Emirates, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Norway, and Japan. Uh, They were mined in in the, as I said, Omani waters. Most of them, some of them were, sorry, uh, UAE waters, my apologies. And UAE water is very close to the port of Fujairah and in, in the Gulf of Oman. Uh, Iran has never claimed responsibility for that, but pretty much it is, uh, there's no doubt what happened. And, and also one thing that I want to point about that, it is the sophistication that were used in those incidents itself is very important. Uh, and again, no detailed uh, study of these have been done, at least I have not seen it yet. Uh, once if people get more hold of what, what really happened there, the type of weapons used, uh, the sophistication shows not just a wanton act of terror. Uh, it wasn't so much terrorizing, but it was actually a political statement. Uh, there were no casualties, which in itself shows the sophistication of these operations where you can actually, uh, hit tankers some of which were laden with, with, uh, with, uh, with oil, which is flammable. And, and, they did not actually blow up, but they showed that they can actually inflict pain on them. Uh, The picture on the right uh, of your screen, top right, uh, that is one that is, uh, the ship is called Siena. The ship is a British flag, Swedish-owned ship, which the Iranians uh, basically hijacked on Omadi waters and they brought it into their their port. Uh, That happened, uh, when you look at that, that was July again. Uh, at the time the Iranians basically told everybody that, you know, they were, they had all these different uh, rationales that they want, you know, they they didn't accept the warnings that they were veering off into Iranian waters, that they were being uh, uncooperative and that they were all of that. Of course, when you look at it, the reality was that the the Iranian ship was stopped uh, by the British in Gibraltar. And this was a, a, a way of Iran to get leverage. And when you look at that headline, that is Kehan newspapers, a daily which is the most conservative, not the most conservative, but it is the, the, the most important mouthpiece of the more right way, right side of the Iranian government. Uh, and there, there's no doubt. In Persian it says uh, a, uh, a tanker for a tanker, and Iran has uh, basically, uh, Uh, kept this promise, the promise that if you touch our tankers, we'll get your tankers. So there's no doubt in there. The message for the Iranian people is the British took our tanker, and here we are. We have one of their tankers, Uh, and and, and this this aspect of leverage actually worked. Uh, Again, the British uh, eventually left the ship, uh, let go. The ship was, the Iranian ship was not supposed to go to uh, where it was supposed to go, which was Syria. Uh, the name was changed, and eventually, actually, it got to Syria. So these are aspects that have aided Iran in this way of the strategy, the tactics to get what they wanted. The middle of your screen has a, a picture. That's a U.S. government picture of a U.S. Global Hawk that was shot down in international waters. Again, Iran does not recognize that as international waters because they believe that straight up from music was, was shot right on the. Uh, entrance on the entrance to the, the Straits of Hormuz, uh, and and then the two pictures on the bottom, uh, they are from the same ins- same uh, uh, event, but there are two different aspects of it. To the left is is what came out in in Al Arabiya and uh, in, in the Gulf. Uh, it says Iran and UAE held a joint Coast Guard meeting in Tehran. The filed photo from Argent's Press. To the right is from the Iranian side where you see uh, the Brigadier General Muhammad al-Misbah al-Ahbabi, uh, the UAE Coast Guard commander with shaking hands with his Iranian uh, counter not counterpart but border police commander Hassim Rezaei. This is 30th July 2019. What is important in that is this is a routine meeting. There were six supposed to happen, but not at that level. That level meeting had not happened between those countries since 2013. Uh as I said, you see one picture showing just basically a a uh some some tankers traveling and the other one is very, very clear that the Iranians that for the Iranians this is the here we have the UAE come and talk with us because the UAE was actually uh affected. This is right after the UAE ships were hit. Whether or not this was pre-arranged the meeting, when you look at the picture, the picture says a thousand words and optics are very different. The Iranian says, well our strategies worked. And 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 uh I would leave that and I'll come back to it. Now let me please go a little bit at uh the Iranian Navy as a whole and then within that I can hopefully I think Talk about specific strategies, where these strategies come from, uh, what incidents happen. First of all, Iran has two military forces, uh, they're, they're each other different commands. Uh, finally, they all come in and they are both directed by the Supreme Leader of Iran, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Uh, one is called the Islamic Republic of Iran Navy, or IRIN. This is pretty much a continuation of imperial Iranian Navy under Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi. Uh, let me say one thing, Iran as a whole is never really been, I'm not talking about the Achaemenes in the time of the Greeks wars, but when you look at modern Iran and, or at least uh, pre-modern Iran, uh, let's say the Safavids from 1500, the last Iranian empire, you know, large empire, if you would look like it, uh, they were more to, to quote the late uh, Hodgson of, of University of Chicago, they were gunpowder empires. They were mainly a, a empire based on, on, uh, on land forces and politically as well. When you look at Iranian uh, politics in the military, it was army and then later on under the Shah in the early days of, of the Islamic revolution, the air force becomes politicized. The Navy usually had been outside of politics. This is nothing, actually this is pretty, uh, common in that part of the world as a whole. After the revolution, the Navy is neglected. Once the Iran-Iraq war starts, those of you know, Iran-Iraq war starts in September, 1980, uh, by Iraq invading Iran. And in the early days of the war, uh, the Navy is gains legitimacy specifically for one operation called Operation Morvarid in Persian, that is Pearl it was in November 2000, uh, 1982, uh, the Iranian Navy hits the Iraqis and the, basically the only port that Iraq had at the time al bakr and shuttle Arab, and they inflict a, incredible damage on the Iraqi forces, uh, and, and this allows the Iranian Navy to uh, gain a, a degree of legitimacy. Uh, however, as the, the Iran-Iraq war continues and it becomes longer and longer, uh, the Islamic, uh, revolution starts relying on the new force that I'll come to, which is called the IRGC, the Islam- Islamic Revolution Guard Corps, and it becomes, you know, it, it has its own Navy and the Iranian regular Navy or IRIN after 1987, which is two years, uh, one year before the end of the war becomes subordinate to and competing with the IRGC. and uh, for for uh, equipment for funds until 2007. In 2007, there's a reorg that starts from 2007, goes up to 2017, and in this new organization, the the new the Iran's regular navy, if you would, is now referred to at least one time by Khamenei as the Iran's strategic navy, meaning this is the navy that takes Iran's strategy beyond the Gulf. So there. Area of operations becomes area of responsibility becomes the Caspian and then anything else. I will not be talking much about the regular navy at this point because of time constraints, but I will be happy to discuss. The no regular navy, uh, the Slavic Republic uh, Navy, Islamic Republic of Iran Navy (IRIN) uh, also has, as I mentioned, a aspect which is the so-called strategic part of Iran, uh, that is the blue water ambitions, I would say, because it's really not there yet. Uh, they have made some port calls, but we can discuss that in Q&A. Uh, now I'll come back to the Islamic Revolution Guard Corps Navy, our IRGC. And it officially was established in 1983, although it really didn't do much. Uh, the headquarters was established in Farsi Island in uh, 1986. It later moved in the 2000s to Bandar Abbas. Uh, but its main focus has been the Gulf then and and then now too one thing about the IRGC as a whole and the navy as such too it is a it merges the defense of the revolution and the state together that's key again we'll discuss that and, and we if we want to later on on the whole notion of IRGC and there are some good books and works by others uh on what how it works out how however uh uh that is important to understand that it is, it is not a regular military force, it has a issue of guarding a revolution that has happened, which itself today has become that revolution. And by the way, the name everybody called them revolutionary, they are not revolutionary in Persian, it translates to Islamic Revolution Guard Corps, not Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, a minor issue, but it's there. Uh, the development of asymmetric naval doctrine starts during the Iran-Iraq War, and that strategy continues today with certain small issues. When you look at the uh, at the Iran-Iraq War, the notion of what I mentioned before, guerrilla war at sea, uh, which was coined by a Marine general uh, by the name of George Crest, who was in the 80s, 86 to 88, if I'm not uh, mistaken, was the uh, the commanding general for the United States Central Command. Uh, he mentioned that guerrilla war as sea first. It basically, at the time, it was use of small boats to swarm enemy targets, mines, and introduction of self-war missiles from China uh, as a strategic asset, although uh, during the Iran-Iraq war against U.S. or other than Iraqi targets, the self-war were never deployed. There's a case, one case that probably it may have, uh, but that is, uh, that is still not 100% clear. And when you see this, uh, this aspect of Iran's uh, uh, asymmetric warfare, if, but for those who can study today some of these aspects of what is happening today may not be available for everybody to research it may be, and maybe in uh, several several years from now people will have more input and information to, to go deep into it. However the tanker war much of it is available. It's declassified, it's available. And I think a a good study of the Tanker War allows the researcher for, to see how this Iranian uh, naval strategy and tactics developed and how they managed to get what they want or not get what they want based on the tactics that happened during the Iran-Iraq War. The Tanker War, as it's called from 84 to 88, is basically when the Iranians started attacking tankers from other countries that are traveling in the north to the Gulf. Uh, Just to give you a number, during the entire tanker war period, Iran attacked 190 ships belonging to 31 different countries, killing approximately 63 sailors. Again, 190 ships belonging to 31 different countries, killing at least 63% sailors. So this wasn't just a a very tacit and and peaceful attack. The attacks are there. And how it works out is is what what the United States and others, not just the U.S., the French, everybody, the British come in and and try to mitigate that. For the United States, at least I can can focus on that. One operation that starts is called Operation Earnest Will that starts from 87 to 88. uh, And the the second one is, what it does is internationalizes the the war. The United States begins reflagging initially Kuwaiti tankers with U.S. flag and escorting them in and out of the Gulf. Uh, and as part of that, there are other sub operations. One is called Operation Nimble Archer, which is October 1987. That basically is a reaction to ships that are now uh, being flagged by the with the U.S. flag that are being hit by Iran. Specifically, there's a, a ship uh, that I'll mention it later on incidents if you're interested in what happens. And then there's another operation that is much more uh, conducted by the United States uh, Special Command which you know this is not so much in the the public domain but it's called Operation Prime Chance. Uh, It goes from 87 to 89 and this operation has the important part of that is because you see part of that coming back again at the time they're using it from from mobile landing platforms. At that time in the 80s, it's basically a barge. Uh, now, now there's something called a, a forward staging base or mobile landing platforms, uh, which which uh, allows uh, launching of helicopters or smaller ships from middle of the Gulf, not at any country's port uh, or from a, a larger ship, but actually a platform that is defended. What escalates the war it brings in the United States much into it beyond these uh, small operations to mitigate the Iranian mining and hitting the uh, the international shipping lanes as uh, a Iranian mine hitting the United States ship USS Samuel B. Roberts and that is when the escalation happens and, and this is important to note again because if you want to look at why what is happening today uh, with with uh, uh, with the asymmetric doctrine of Iran, again, in my view, the good is we it have a good opportunity to look back at these the escalations and also the smaller operations which were not talked much about at the time uh, because they were not in public domain. But both Prime Chance and Neville Archer, right now, you can you can find uh, very good information about what really happened in that. So the shifts in Iran's maritime strategy and tactics, I personally look at two specific uh, incidents that makes Iran change, and that change in, in many ways is still continuing. There are new additions to the strategy and tactics, but the beginnings is that. As a result of the, the uh, USS Samuel B. Roberts, that this launches a very, very, sh- very short duration, but I will believe large and impact operation uh, called Operation Plain Mantis in April, 1988. The ship you see on top is, is the Iranian ship uh, frigate that was hit. Uh, and this operation, uh, the two U.S. casualties, we're still not sure whether they were hit or it was an accident, two Marines and uh, a helicopter are killed. But for the Iranian side, uh, the, the damage is pretty significant. I'm not going to go to each detail, but you can see the, the uh, landings on Iranian platforms. Uh, ships are hit and smaller ships are hit. Second thing that makes Iran change its tactic and, and continue to stick to the asymmetric warfare is US interventions in Iraq in 1991 and then in 2003. What the Iranians learned from that is for, after Praying Mantis is that there's no way for them to go with the United States Navy to Navy, big ship to big ship, su- large submarine to large submarine uh, landing operations. They just cannot do that. And praying mantis catches them they, 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 that is the last confrontation in that sense in that level and also it happens to be uh, until that time the largest uh surface naval operation since World War II for the United States as well so uh in a very short duration they lose much of their assets that they had the intervention in Iraq what it teaches Iran is Iraq had a formidable uh force, not so much a navy but it was a country that uh was uh uh pretty strong in the sense of military, it had a, a robust weapon systems. And when the United States comes in, leads the coalition in nineteen ninety one and then comes in with Britain in two thousand and three, their navy is not even an issue. And Iran learns from that as well that having a robust navy like that doesn't really mean anything. So what happens is first they go to a passive defense, mobility over defense and firepower. So what you do is instead of attacking a U.S. ship with another large ship, you have smaller ships to have mobility and you maneuver yourself into targeting a a larger uh, platform. And then that leads to investment in small boats, swarming. Initially, what they do is they get a lot of boats. Uh, It's a combination of fast boats from Sweden uh, and then some Boston Whalers, U.S. boats, and they have a, a hodgepodge of weapons on them from seventy millimeter rockets to uh, rocket-prepared grenades to some machine guns. And some of them are, are, are pleasure boats too, small boats. So it, it doesn't, it initially is, it's just a hodgepodge, you, you know, they are different colors to it then but they But the idea is to have a lot of them, and if one of them hits the target, there you go. You have a inflection of pain, and this is important. They also introduced missile, theater missiles, IEDs, uh, uh, mines, uh, and self-sufficiency. Later on, you have drones and cruise missiles. And today we have those. The self-sufficiency part also comes out of the fact that Iran was under sanctions from almost the beginning of the Islamic revolution by the United States and some other countries. And they look at themselves at making sure that they can produce weapon systems that, cannot be sanctioned. While this, this is, this is ongoing. They also are receiving missiles mainly from China, North Korea. Those are the two main uh, origin you know countries where they get their weapons too. Then there's also another part of this, uh, this tactic is what then president of Iran, Rafsanjani, called it invisible hand tactics. The invisible hand tactics. And if you look at what is happening today, it is, it is almost to the point of what Rafsanjani was trying to, to, uh, to discuss. It is plausible deniability. This is what they, what happened in the ships in, in the UAE waters with the British ship, although in the newspaper you see that they say that we got a ship for a ship, but at the same time there's plausible deniability on what happened in, in Saudi Arabia, although that was not a maritime operation hitting up here uh, with, with missiles, which pretty much now everybody agrees that was not coming in from the Houthis in Yemen, but there is a liability. If you want to create a situation where you invite that country to lower the, the threshold of, of, of conflict, you can do that. It's not a direct war. You can always go back of it. And then covert asymmetric operations, cost imposing opportunities. And this is what's happening today with the Saudi oil fields that are hit, the cost for Saudi Arabia could could be higher. It could be much higher. Again, when you look at what happened in Saudi Arabia, again, this is not a naval issue, but the explosions could have been much larger. So there is an amount of sophistication that warns and shows that what else, what other costs can be there. Then there's also use of terror intimidation. Here, Iran learns from its old actions in Lebanon, creation of Hezbollah, which is an Iranian proxy. One of their most successful, I say, or the most successful. They also learned from Yemen, and here I'm pointing to the 2000 uh, bombing of, of USS Cole. Iran was not involved in that, it was Al Qaeda. However, they learned how easy it is or how cost effective it is to have one person or two people committing suicide, taking a small rubber boat, and inflicting major damage to a very advanced uh, U.S. vessel, and in that case, casualties as well. So that aspect, what else they learned in Lebanon is, when you look at Lebanon, the bombings against the French targets in the U.S. Marine barracks in, in Beirut, for them it was a successful operation. Why? Because both France and the United States withdrew from Lebanon. So this idea of imposing costs intimidating the use of terror works. And when you see also in, in case of while the, the, the strategies are different, you know, you you go and, and abduct people on the streets of Westerners in the streets of Beirut. And one of them happens to be the head of the CIA. And then you can you can basically blackmail the United States and getting weapons. I'm talking about the issue of Buckley and, and uh, the Iran-Contra affair. And then another thing that comes up and today is very, very robust is use of surrogates and proxies. What you see in, in, in Yemen is, is the best case scenario of that in the maritime domain as well. The Yemenis, specifically the Houthis are working as a cro- surrogate and proxy to do Iran's bedding. So that allows Iran to have a tactical alliance with Yemen on the, on the ground, but it gives them a strategic depth, strategic uh, power to affect not only the Gulf, but also, and this is what you hear from even Rouhani, the, the, the moderate president, if you would, that it's not just the Gulf, but we can affect things. We can do things in the, in the Red Sea and Babel Mandab and so on and so forth. So that is the core of what I want to say is about the tactics and how it works out, what it worked out during the tanker war. It translated into, successes for Iran and failures, paying mantles being a failure uh, and what it has happened now and is happening today. Again, just to, to come back to on the map to show you the areas of responsibility, uh, what you see on the, on the, uh, on top, right, it's the Caspian Sea, and that's what Iran believes is their waters. That's not yet accepted. That used to be what they had during the Soviet before the Soviet Union collapse. Right now, the Caspian is still, uh, not decided where Iran's uh, territorial waters will be, that green and Gulf of Oman and everything else beyond is the responsibility of the Islamic Republic of Iran Navy. The Gulf is exclusively responsibility of the uh, IRGC at the Islamic Revolution Gulf Navy. However, there are two bases that Boucher and Bandar Abbas that you see there, Boucher Northern Gulf and Bandar Abbas right at the uh, entrance of the Straits of Hormuz where the regular Navy or the IRIN has a, a two bases there. And if you look at that one area that says shared AOR, a shared area of responsibility, that area is what, what, what most of what I talked about today. The hitting of the, of the US drone, the attacks near Fujera happened within that or just south of it. Uh, the British ship was just abducted right to the east of it. So this is the, this is how the areas of responsibility are shared. And still, if you look at it for the Iranian Navy, the main task is the Gulf and the entrance to the Gulf. That's where they think they have their greatest power and that's where they think they can affect much more of their strategy. Consistations in the Gulf. When you look at what is happening today, what, what is the political part of it? After the United States withdrew from the GCPOA, the Iranian nuclear deal in May 2018, Iran had what it called strategic patience. Basically, they will be patient. There were some escalations in in activities, but it wasn't so much that created a problem uh, for confrontation. This lasted till May 2019. As I said, you saw the ships hit and all that in May 2019. The shift happens. This was all response to what the US calls the maximum pressure policy. Now, what Iran has is what I call the active resistance. What is happening from the other side? Initially, the United States started leading an operation was called Operation Sentinel. It didn't work as well. Uh, I have a quotation from the Secretary of Defense of the United States, Mr. Mark Esper last year in January, he basically said he made calls to both allies in Asia and Europe, and everybody said we'll think about it and not possible. That whole aspect, that was basically trying to recreate, not those minutes, but recreate the aspects of the, of what we had in operation or will to protect shippings that come in through the Gulf with international escort. Uh, now that whole process is called the International Maritime Security Construct and the countries that are members, you see them right there. You have Albania, Australia, Bahrain, Lithuania, Saudi Arabia, UAE, UK and the US. That's it uh, of all the countries that were involved. This is in a way a victory for Iran that there's not a coalition of bigger coalition in that sense. And then in, in January this year the United States kills Qasem Soleimani, General Qasem Soleimani. There's a picture of him right there uh, that's uh, uh, on top of it says in the in the, in the both are a ship of salvation, that is Qasem Soleimani to, to the right, and that's Ali, uh, the leader of Shia Islam to the left. So that's, I put that there because that's part of the Iranian propaganda systems. But since it's maritime, I thought that would be appropriate. After the, the, the killing of Qasem Soleimani, uh, the harassment of U.S. vessels is unprecedented since operation of Well, that's where we stand right now. I can give you a whole list of what is happening, but, but it, is, it is, and they're dangerous. Uh, there has been no major confrontation. It is, but, but it's becoming bit more and more dangerous because they are doing very, 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 very dangerous maneuvers close to ships. And if one mistake happens, you may even have an unintentional conflict, even if neither side wants a conflict, but if something happens with your casualties, it could lead to that. And these are my final thoughts. I know we lost a few minutes, so I'm trying to still leave some good time for Q&A. Uh, what are my final thoughts? What, what are we doing? First of all, on the right, I'll just read again, Kehan, Uh the, the top one, again, it is a statement from Ansarullah, which is another name for the Houthis. It says we will gonna hit the Everest in such a way that they will go back a few decades. So, and then underneath it is a picture of what happened in Saudi Arabia. So the message is again, very, very clear. These, this is a very major Iranian paper. We're going to hit the Emirates in such a way that they're going to go a few decades backwards and then a picture of what happened in Saudi Arabia. If that message is not taken, what else is there? The second pi- p- picture in the middle that is from the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. Uh, it's a, a smaller version of an aircraft carrier that's about one third the size of a Nimitz class, that's the majority of U.S. aircraft except one of that Nimitz class. Uh, that's one third of it, that's in Bandar Abbas, so that, that is for practice, basically how to hit a U.S. aircraft carrier. In the picture to the bottom, again, it's uh, boats, 112 of them were uh, domestically made boats that were delivered to IRGC, just May 28, uh, the quote I have there for you comes from that ceremony. Again. Uh, it says if, if the enemy hits us once, we'll hit them 10 times. Where are we right now? Where are we going from now? What is the cyber domain? There's a cyber issue going on cyber war if you go with all the elements uh, of state the non-state but most of them state. Uh, for the first time the Israelis actually were talking about one of their operations and giving uh, even uh, medals. Uh, when they, they affected the Iranian port system. So that is one issue. Again, that could lead to situations where the effects of it, we don't know what happens. If the damage is such that one country, the recipient uh, feels that this is un- intolerable. Because we don't know what the effects could be, also the reaction, not just by cyber, but the reaction by, by, by firepower could be there. There's also alliances and amb- ambiguities. Alliances, and I say this from a personal perspective, are not the same as they were. A lot of the countries in the Gulf and the southern shores of the Gulf are not not very, uh, they're not as easy as they were with the alliances with the West, specifically the United States, but with others. That allows Iran to come in, come in there and make sure that not to break all the relationship but basically make deals on its own and try to insert itself as the most major power. Their, their aim is they say, look, all the countries in the Gulf should leave Iran to do the uh, the betting, and it will safeguard everything for them. There's a lot of also ambiguities on all sides, which could lead to unintended clashes. There's also major regional power competitions within the area. You have the Turks of Qatar and with the major power competition, you have China and Russia, China is one of the largest recipients of oil and gas from the region. And in my personal view, I'm not a China expert. China is not a destructive power in the Gulf. I'm sure some people may take issue with that. I I do believe Russia is. For Russia, Russia is a Russia's main uh, economy is based on oil and gas. So they are in competition, not, uh, and, and coordination. They're coordinating with the Saudis sometimes with, with the prices in OPEC, but they are in competition. For them, a Gulf that buys their weapons, that's their main thing right now, they basically, actually, Mr. Putin, this Russian president was joking to the Saudis that, you know, you can buy our weapons and we will, we will protect uh, against the attacks that, uh, that happened in a pit. Uh, And the the, the ironic thing is that most likely the weapons that hit Saudis had either Russian components or Russian designs in them. So they say, we know how to stop this, something like that. So the Russians are selling weapons to all sides. However, for them, it actually helps if the Gulf is not in total turmoil, but not totally stabilized. Because if it's stabilized specifically Iran, if Iran becomes stabilized, that doesn't mean a U.S. ally, just means a normal country, a country that doesn't take people's hostages and you know, uh, embassies or hits embassies or, or, or has proxies fighting under different names It's just a normal country. The country that loses the most in my view is Russia because Iran can open up the major ways of sea routes through countries that don't have access to the sea, but have a lot of energy resources. The Azerbaijans of the world, the Kazakhstan's Turkmenistan's all can open up and go through Iran and go to not only to the Gulf, but open go to Chabahar, which is an open uh, port right into the Gulf of Oman. So for Russia, it always, in my view, helps if Iran is not boiling totally, but always simmers in a surprise state, allows Russia to keep its monopoly over the, the maritime and also the ground all of the uh, ways oil and gas travels. As I mentioned before, what worries some some of us who look at this a lot is miscalculations and accidental conflicts. Uh, and, and, and there's no way to stop that once it happens. We have seen it before. And if it happens, it could lead to something much more major where neither side is initially intending to do that. Uh, and, and, and then gets us out of, of hand. By the time we have a hold of it, it could be uh, quite a bit into a, a conflict. And as I say that Iran is, Passive defense, and and they are doing only proxies. And however, on the twenty eighth of May, again, I'm not saying one statement is important, but as I was doing looking at that, uh, the IRGC commander uh, General Hussein Salami made a statement while those little small boats that are down there were being handed out, and he said, the f- "Defense is our logic in war, but not in the sense of passivity against enemy." Our operations and taxes are offensive and we have shown it in the battlefield. This is what is happening today. Again, as I say, this could be just a statement as a lot of other statements, but it could also show, I hope not, a, a much more offensive minded Iranian maritime system. If that is there thinking that the United States is now not as involved in the Gulf or the Gulf states can accept, Intimidations and if you hit their oil fields, they will they will be more passive. Uh, it 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 could lead to a much more major conflict. Uh, and it so this is this is my final thought. It's not unfortunately a, a very positive one. And next slide, please. I'll just leave you with a couple of pictures, and then I'll be ready for your Q and A. These are uh three of them were from Iranian press for Iran. Some of the victories they see as uh, you see there on the left is a Iranian ship. That by the way, was not escorted as a, it's a uh, oil and they sent some some uh, uh, supplies to Venezuela. So it's basically going through the US flag that US couldn't stop them. Uh, the top right is a picture, although it's about COVID and face mask. But for the Iranians, the fact that they show that Europe and the United States is not working together. You see the leaders of, of major European powers in the United States there that they are at each other's necks, this is perfect for them because that allows them to react and do what they want. And the fact that, as I mentioned in the uh, international maritime security construct of the major European countries, there's only one in there, and that's the United Kingdom, that for Iran is a victory. Dividing is a victory. The last one, no, the bottom one on the right uh, is another Iranian from Taslim, they say Saudi rockets are going there. And they show Yemen with a small dagger, uh, the Hanja, uh, that Yemen could do so much just whizzing through the Saudis. Obviously, what the Yemenis are doing is almost directly Iranian-controlled, and the weapons are Iranian. So that is, again, showing you have these big weapons you're buying, but we can affect and hurt you much more with, with smaller weapons. The picture to the left is from the U.S. Navy. Uh, that's an Iranian uh, boat that's an IRGC boat uh, coming too close to a United States ship. When I say close, you can see how close they are. And they're not one of them. I just want to show you that one picture that was handed out to the public. Uh, These are very, very close calls. Uh, And and those of you who are the naval, part, there is a distance that after that, captains of, of naval vessels are authorized to use firepower. And if that happens again, situation can get out of hand. But thank you very much for your time and for your listening to me.
0: Thanks a lot. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. We hope you enjoyed this newly adapted episode of The Broodcast. You can view older episodes with their full video content on the Krulak Center YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about our other activities and see our full range of written and media content on The Landing, Marine Corps University's digital PME portal. Check out the show notes for links to all of these, and we'll see you for the next episode.